to the Mostly Weather podcast. Uh, and my name is Jeff Norwood Brown, and uh, we've got quite a special one today because we're, we're going to be talking to the founder member of the Cloud Appreciation Society. Joining me for this podcast are Helen Roberts, hello, and Gavin Preeter Pinney. Hi, welcome to the Met Office, Gavin. So, Helen, could you just quickly tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure, yeah. Some of you um, might know me. I'm Helen Roberts. I'm a senior operational meteorologist here at the Met Office. And I work in our media team. So in the media team, we're looking after our broadcast customers, uh, briefing them on the telephone, providing graphics and sometimes scripts for them. We also look after our, our Twitter feed and some of our other social media channels. Um, and uh, I've been, uh, I've worked in the world of weather for about 16 years now. The majority of that time spent here at the Met Office, but with a little bit of time as a presenter for the BBC as well. So I've done all sorts of different types of forecasting along the way. Great stuff. So, uh, Gavin, <laughs> thanks so much for coming down to see us today. Uh, Found a member of the Cloud Appreciation Society as uh, um, uh, I'm proud member of that, member number 3044, I think it was, uh, I've decided on now. Can you tell us a little bit about the Cloud Appreciation Society and, and, and maybe a little bit about yourself as well? Yeah, so I um, started it 14 years ago and um, it has uh, grown sort of very naturally of its own accord over that time. It now has I think it's over 47,000 members in 120 countries around the world. And I came to the world of clouds as um, an amateur. Right. As an amateur observer. Uh, I haven't trained in meteorology or anything like that. Um, and we can talk, in fact, about the long tradition of amateurs being involved in the world of, of clouds and cloud classification if we want. But, um, you know, there's been a long tradition of amateurs and professionals collaborating when it comes to the weather um, and because of course we are all experts in observing it. But 44,000 people have signed up to, to prove that they appreciate clouds, so, so, so how did you get going on appreciating clouds? When did you know that this was, this was a thing to be pursued? Well, I do remember the first time I saw a cloud um, and that was like the first time I really noticed one, I think you could say. Mm -hmm. And I was four and a half being driven to school by my mother in the back of her sky blue mini traveller. Right. Uh, and we were going and we were in London and I remember looking out of the back window and seeing um, this big puffy cloud in front of the sun. It had those uh, those shafts of light, like fingers of sunbeams, sunbeams mm. bursting out, and that just draws your attention to the middle. Um, and I was wondering, what is this thing? It was kind of dark in the middle because it was sort of shaded side there, but it had this brilliant white fringe around the outside of the cloud. I was just curious about it. What you know? What is it made of, and what's what's it? Why is it there? Why why doesn't it fall down? And questions that have you know persisted through my life, I think. Right. Okay. So so where did where did the Cloud Appreciation Society begin then? It began at a festival. Right. Weirdly, um, without much plan, um, without any big idea, it began as a little idea actually when I 
a friend asked me if I'd give a talk at a festival she was starting in Cornwall. It was a literary festival, but I right. had no book to, I hadn't <laughs> written a book or anything, but it didn't matter. She was looking for speakers and she said, um, will you do a talk about the sky? Because I know you like to talk about clouds. And I said, sure. I hadn't started a society, but I used the name of a society as a kind of funny like whimsical idea and I called it the inaugural lecture of the Cloud Appreciation <laughs> Society just to pique people's interest right. and it, it, it did that very well. Right, okay. People all came along and the tent was totally full and I gave out these little badges that I'd made with a little badge machine um, saying Cloud Appreciation Society just because I thought it was all funny and I said at the end anyone want a badge for the society you know come to the front and there was like a stampede <laughs> uh, so I, and I was thinking afterwards this really sort of resonated with people here um, I was talking about cloud formations why they look the way they do the different Latin names and also talking about how clouds have played a cameo role throughout human culture so, yeah. so was this, did the Cloud Appreciation Society just start there and then, or was it a little bit later? Or? So that was like the idea, all right? right? That was the idea in the name. And I think, and then people came up and said, great, how do I join? Am I already a member then? I've got a badge. And I was saying, yeah, 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 you're already a member. Yeah, sure. And then say, so, you know, can I donate, should I have a number, membership number? And um, I thought, actually, then someone else told me, you know, we, we like to think of ourselves as individuals and unique, but one thing people really love is a number. <laughs> so make sure the member numbers are quite up front. And actually, you've both talked about your membership numbers. I, I think this, this is clearly that he was giving me good advice. So I um, did um, start doing this thing. You get, I, I put up a website. I learned how to do a website myself over Christmas. Um, this is 2005. January 2005, I put the website up, having got a book about it, read it over Christmas like this, and then sort of learned how to do it myself. And then the part of that where um, people, they were at a gallery and people started sending in photographs, it very quickly, you know, picked up momentum, actually. Right. Um, I was lucky for a couple of reasons. I got this award for the most weird and wonderful website from Yahoo. Oh, right. At the time. Them. Yeah, I remember them. I know. They, and, um, and then that got me on the TV. And then one thing led to another. Do you know what I mean? It was just a little bit of sort of one thing led to another. But always so where because... where are we at now, I have to ask. 47,000 members. Right. Uh, a bit over 47,000 members in 120 countries. Right. Very international, right. you know. Majority of members here in the UK, but increasingly... Um, uh, the US is snapping at the heels of oh, the right, UK. Oh, right, so they're catching up now. Right. Totally. And that is where the, the greatest growth in the society is happening. And I'm actually having to do positive discrimination right at the moment oh, right. to stop them taking over <laughs> the, um, the sort of photo gallery. And, and, and these so are the people who just want to focus on clouds, not any other aspect of the weather this is just yeah they really are not generally people who are um perhaps they're not people who are sort of related to the weather professionally necessarily mm. um quite often there's a real mix of the types of people who are members and sometimes they are more generally weather geeks but quite often they're not particularly 
But the, 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 the sky and the clouds are the most visible. They are the visible part there of the There must weather. be a high percentage of pilots, I would have thought. A lot of pilots. We have quite a few commercial airline pilots yeah. who are members. We have a lot of landscape painters. Right, so, okay. Yeah, John Constable, oh, he described yes. the sky as the keynote. The only, oh, the only artist, in, in my humble opinion, that gets clouds right. I, I can recognise yeah. the cloud types from, from his painting. Yeah, so, he's uh, good, I know. And Turner, in a very different sense, is another classic kind of weather paint of the same era, era, obviously. But I think of those two as representing these different perspectives on the weather. Constable trying to think of the uh, his paintings like kind of documents on the weather, trying to actually be accurate in what he's depicting. Whereas Turner is much more about the emotion, the turbulence of um, you know storms at sea and the, the the water in the air and the bubbles in the water and it's all a complete mess, you know. So he's much less to do with kind of trying to visually represent something accurately. He's mm. more to do with giving the feeling. But I don't know how we got onto them. The point I was mentioning <laughs> about artists is that there are a lot. You know, ter that Constable described the sky as the the, the, the keynote and the chief organ of sentiment in any landscape painting. So these members of the society who are artists uh, are fully aware that it is through the sky that you bring feeling and emotion into a landscape painting. So there are you know, a, lot, a lot of different perspectives that people bring on the subject of the sky and the clouds, keeping it specific to do with the clouds, gives, uh, gives people a kind of uh, a, a handle on weather, I think, mm. that's easy to grasp. It's easy for a small kid to grasp. And it's a, it's a part of the weather that everyone has a relationship with. We all have a relationship with the sky and the clouds. And it's usually one that's laid down when we're quite young, like it was with me. Earlier this year, um, you had one of your sky gatherings. And we'll talk a little bit more about what those are um, later on. But I was so excited to receive an email from you inviting me to a sky gathering on Lundy and to give a talk. And uh, we had the whole island to ourselves, didn't we? And the, the 80 or so members of the society that joined us. But you had such uh, an array of speakers and it really made me think about the variety of ways in which you can appreciate the sky and appreciate clouds. So you've already talked about artists, and, and we had a brilliant artist giving us a, yeah, a demonstration. Yeah, Lionel Playford, who was a member of the society. Yeah. Exactly. Um, but we also had talks from poets and, and people who write about clouds, a wonderful folk singer who, who sang some songs about clouds. and. And of course, looking at it from, from the scientific and meteorological aspects as well. But it, it's, it's something that we can all do, like you've said, and we can all appreciate in our own way. And it's something that's sort of good for the soul, isn't it, looking at, yeah. at the and I And I think it's, um, you know, so it's a perfect subject for this um, cross-disciplinary thing of um, the science and art, the sky, because of course cloud formations, they are physical manifestations of the movement of the atmosphere and in particular the change of phase of water in, our, in the air. Um, and so they are very much, they obey the laws of physics. 
and they may not be easy to study because they're in this unbounded space. It's not like a contained little space in which to do an experiment in physics, and that adds complexity. But the rules of what's going on and the laws we understand well. So these these are scientific phenomena, uh, and yet the quality of clouds, this ability they have to appear from nowhere and disappear again into the blue makes them very, very rich metaphors which have um, inspired not only artists but as you say writers, poets, right back to the ancient Greeks. Aristophanes described the clouds as the patron goddesses of idle fellows. Um, so this idea of them as um, there was like representations, they're almost like feelings or ideas um, that take form and then they pass over us or they take form in the air and then they're gone again. And it's all simply the ease with which water can shift from the invisible gaseous state into the visible droplets or ice crystals or the liquid and solid states. The ease with which it can do that within the climate, the, the temperature differences in the air. It's just so, it would, it's, everything is poised at the point of it changing constantly from visibility to invisibility. And that's what brings, it's science, but it brings this magic to this part of the atmosphere, which long before we understood what was going on has enthralled humankind because it's been this ever-present backdrop to our existence here on the earth. So I love that interplay between science and art and I love the way the sky stimulates that. So I mean I think it's interesting isn't it that um, you often hear that that science ruins the beauty of things but what you saw as a four-year-old were, were sunbeams but we might call them crepuscular rays. Still as pretty. Yeah. Still the same thing. I know. It's just that we've got a different term. Different, different names. And you know, there's uh, that um, American biologist, E.O. Wilson, he said, wisdom begins by getting things by their right names. And in a way, the idea of naming things. And so they've got an official name. You don't know that as a four-year-old. You don't know that this cloud, the puffy one, is called a cumulus cloud. And he would say, in many senses, it doesn't matter what the names are. But I actually spend quite a lot of time talking about these Latin names. Um, yeah, yeah. And I think, it, I think, in a way, it does matter. Because when you know the names of things, when you... Um, it's like the first sort of stage of um, a relationship. So you know the people in the room, you know them by their names. You're already forming a relationship with those people. And the same with the characters of the sky. Once you begin to learn their names, even though these are things, human constructs, that we've placed on to these um, ever-changing forms. Yeah. It focuses your attention. But you can refer to them then once you, you've all agreed on that's There's what a language. that's called. Yeah. You, know, that you don't have to describe every cloud that you've seen. Yeah. You know, you know it's, it's white and, and... And there's a language of the sky, um, which is what the classifications bring, these Latin terms. And it's also like when you've got a kid and you teach them that is a tortoiseshell butterfly, oh, and that one's a peacock, um, they might, when a butterfly comes past, go, that's, that's, what's that one then? Yeah, yeah. So they, they've just kind of got engaged. 
Now, Gavin, you've, you've produced a, a few books, and there's this one I have in front of me, which is absolutely beautiful, is coming out next month. Yeah, that's right, yeah, in September. And it's called A Cloud A Day, um, which also ties in with something that you can get as a subscriber to the society. Yeah. Um, these emails that go out at 7.30 each morning with a beautiful picture of, of something in the sky. But this is a, a collection of, of all those. Yeah, they're like, it's, it's like our sort of favourites over the past few years. These uh, Cloud A Day emails, of which this is a collection, they have an image. Predominantly, it's an image with a bit of explanation. and. Quite often, it's a photograph sent in by a member from around the world, and a short piece of text might be explaining why the cloud looks like that, what it's telling us about the movements of the air. Uh, but I like when describing those bits of science to also do something that leaves you kind of touched emotionally slightly. Um, and so I'm always trying to do that in the way the bits of science are given. But also sometimes it's a, a quotation uh, that, that relates to the sky. Or it might be, uh, the, the image might be a detail from a medieval painting where the artist was trying to show something symbolic in the sky. Um, you really don't know what's coming next. So it was really intended this as a, as a kind of ultimate dip in and out. Yeah book really and that's really the sort of the feel of it because in the same way you never know what's coming next with the weather yeah. in the sky I wanted to kind of feel like each page you turn it's you don't know what you're going to see and sometimes it's uh, inspiring sometimes it's revealing sometimes it's entertaining I yeah. like to be quite light-hearted about it and be funny where I can and a lot of these and it's also perhaps of all the books that have come from the Cloud Appreciation Society this is the most collaborative in a sense that there's so many of these uh, images have been sent in by members from around the world, but also the content, the writing has in many cases been contributed by members as well, because we've got uh, a group of members who help write Cloud of Days often. Yeah. Um, and that's something I really want to start doing more and more of. It's, a, you know, looking forwards, I want to get more member input into these, uh, these emails. So, yeah, the ultimate dip in and out. It really is. <laughs> and we've picked a few of our favourites, haven't we? So we've got one of these pictures behind us yeah, now. Yeah, I think we've got um, a few probably we could look at. The, the, this is a, uh, the one you've got just on the screen behind you is uh, what's known as a fluctus cloud. And this... Uh, you could think of it as the favourite cloud of a um, surfer um, because it looks like a series of breaking waves. So waves which are curling over at the top like ocean breakers. Um, and it's a relatively rare formation. It forms as a result of shearing winds in stable conditions. So the one here is over Vermont, and we've got some mountains in the distance with snow uh, on them, and these uh, enormous kind of peaking waves um, beyond. Now, uh, the mountains are not insignificant here because this idea of shearing winds is where you get a distinct difference in wind speed with altitude. Um, and that can often have an effect on any clouds that are forming uh, within that region of the atmosphere. And over mountains, that 
can be not uncommon because the lower winds are interacting with the mountains and that slows the movement of air down, whereas the higher winds are not influenced so much. So you get this difference, marked difference in speed, and that can set up an in undulations where, where if clouds are at that level. And when conditions are just right, the tops of those undulations can be um, encouraged. They can be coaxed to curl over in these beautiful vortices. Now, I, sorry, Jeff, I was just going to say I, I learned something this morning because I don't know them as fluctus. I know them as Kelvin Helmholtz waves or clouds. Um, and that's what they used to be more in, informally mm. referred to, didn't they? So yeah. some, some of our listeners might know them as that, but I've only seen them once in my life, and I think even Jeff, yeah. who observed the weather for many, many years, yeah, you've so only seen them, them once. Saw them once last year, and I yeah. still knew them as Kelvin Helmholtz yeah. then. And actually, I mean, that wasn't like, there wasn't an informal name, Kelvin Helmholtz. It was the name the for name. them. Yes. Right. It's just that... Um, in uh, 2017, they, they, uh, the World Meteorological Organization, who kind of are the keepers of the classification system, these Latin terms we use to describe clouds, cirrus, cumulonimbus, stratus, and things like fluctus, these more unusual forms, they, uh, the WMO uh, published this new edition of this book called the International Cloud Atlas. And whenever they publish one of these every several decades, they've been, you know, the first edition of this book came out in 1896. Um, but more recently than that, the World Meteorological Organization has been responsible for publishing the editions. And when they did a new edition, an online edition in 2017, they made some tweaks mm. and some additions. And one of them was to give Latin names to a couple of these terms for clouds that we didn't have Latin names with before. So it was one of those, a fluctus cloud. And then this one uh, is known as a volutus cloud. Uh, it's also one that's been given a Latin name more recently. Uh, originally, it would have just been called a roll cloud because it looks like a long tube, a long horizontal roll of cloud. It travels along. Uh, can travel about 35 miles an hour, something like that. Uh, and this one is forming over just off the coast of the Netherlands, um, often found in coastal regions, I believe. It's, we were talking about this a bit we, earlier we on, weren't we? We discussed this earlier and decided we didn't know why this was. <laughs> yeah. If anybody does know, please, please do get in touch. Um, I mean, I always think it's to do with sea breezes, why you often get these royal clouds. But it, they also, these long horizontal tubes of clouds can form out ahead of storms. And I happen to know from the description of the member who sent this one in, I believe that there was a storm off in the distance. It looks like there might even be some kind of rain visible in this mm -hmm. image. But um, uh, that's the other way that they can form something ahead of storms. There's so. certainly winds involved there, isn't there? Because there's uh, white horses in the foreground. Yeah, uh, so yeah uh, that's you right. You see the waves breaking. Yeah. A, a couple of uh, paragliders or kite surfers. Kite surfers, yeah, um, exactly. Making use of it as well. So there's obviously a lot of wind dynamics going on there. And then we've probably got, we have a look at the next one. This is, this is a classic oh. um, cumulonimbus cloud. So the cumulonimbus cloud is one of the 10 main cloud types. There are 10 main types. And these are known as the cloud genera. 
Uh, so the ones you've heard of from school, like Cumulus and Cirrus and Stratus, those are examples of cloud genera. And the Cumulonimbus is the mighty storm cloud, stretches maybe 10, 12 miles up into the atmosphere in you know extreme cases. And it is what produces thunder and hail and um, heavy down gusts of air. This is the extreme weather part of cloud spotting. The Cumulonimbus is um, many people's favorite cloud. Do you have a favourite or is that too difficult a question? Uh, it is a question I get asked and it's um, a little bit like someone asking you, you know, which is your favourite child. Yeah. Um, not that I consider them my children, but I mean, <laughs> 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 but it's like, it's a little bit hard, but I do like a lenticularis mm. cloud. Oh, yes, yes. And any listeners in um, you know, mountainous regions of the world or the country will be probably quite familiar with these. They look like UFOs. Mm. Um, uh, or like kind of lozenges and they form in the waves of air that flow over mountains sometimes appearing to hover in the lee of the mountain um, and disc-like really look like UFOs. Yeah. There's a, another one on the screen here which is known as an arcus, a very dark um, ominous appearing cloud here and this is also associated with storms uh, and really at the very front base of a storm system as it approaches if it's a serious major storm system you can have one of these arcus from the latin for an arch um, so it's an arch of cloud and then behind it we can see, I, I guess that's a cumulonimbus behind it. Yes, and I think it's more than that. I think it's a sort of um, uh, like a supercell super storm yeah. really. Yeah. Um, uh, and it all becomes a little bit academic, which bit is a cumulonimbus cloud within an enormous... <laughs> once it gets organised, a storm system like that, the individual cells of these convection cells all start to coordinate into this massive system. Mm. And so it almost start, you start breaking down whether you can talk about them as individual clouds any longer. But you do get these features associated with large storms and the arcus, this front bumper, this low advancing at the very front of the storm is a classic one mm. for large storm systems. We often talk about skies looking ominous, don't we? And, mm. and many of us use use that terminology, but that arc has really, really did. Yeah, and actually we we know, just sort of, we just know in, it's written into us that a dark sky means something ominous. Yeah. I'm just going to mention this, but, you know, we're, we're quite adept, uh, well, lots of us at the Met Office are adept at reading the sky and interpreting, you know, what these clouds mean. But I think if there's a storm approaching, uh, you just know. Yeah, <laughs> and it's, it feels like that is sort of hardwired. And yeah. you, but you don't necessarily know that a dark cloud is that the base is dark because the cloud is tall. Mm. Mm. And that's going to mean the light is scattered mostly before reaching the base. And a tall cloud means it's more likely for the water in its upper reaches to start to freeze and in many cases that's the beginning of the precipitation process. So the, the height, the tallness of a cloud is what kind of indicates whether it's likely to produce rain mm. and that's why it looks dark at its base. You don't need to know those things, we yeah. just sort of know, we just feel that there's something Intuitive, coming. I'm prepared to be shot down here but I seem to remember 5,000 foot the depth of a cloud to get a decent amount of rain. That Is that right? right? Yeah. Yeah. Something yeah. like that. Right, yeah. So if we go back to the names then, who actually comes up 
with these names? Well, the original... Yeah, that's a leading um, question. Yeah, the, 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 the first person to name the clouds uh, in a successful and systematic way was someone called Luke Howard. Mm -hmm. And he was an Englishman. And he was an amateur. Um, in a sense, we're talking... Um, 1802, so it was rather before there was such a thing as a professional meteorologist or a meteorologist at all. But I mean amateur in the sense he, he wasn't in the Navy or something like that. He wasn't in any way professionally related to the weather because his job was as a pharmacist. Mm -hmm. And he lived in London in Tottenham uh, and he was a lover of the sky and he was at a local a scientific debating society. And one day he decided, listen, I'm going to do a, a talk at my debating society about the sky and the clouds and how, why don't we do what we do with plants plants and animals, which is having these na Latin naming systems, do that with the sky. Because when you look at it, there are these kind of recognisable forms that repeat themselves. And within his little um, scientific debating society, they loved it. It suddenly resonated in a little bit of a similar way to maybe the way the, the, the society, the Cloud Appreciation Society resonated. Um, in the sense that it just people get it. Do you know what I mean? Because they've always been observing it. You're not telling someone about something new. You're tapping them on their shoulder, reminding about people about something that they already knew, perhaps persuading them to look at it in a slightly mm -hmm. different way. But his system, for, he came up with the terms cumulus, cirrus, stratus, and he talked about how the naming system would have to be much more fluid than we have for plants and animals because you'd have to talk about these are constantly in flux clouds. And so you want to be able to combine terms like stratocumulus or cumulostratus, I think is how he originally talked about right. it. And we have this idea of stratocumulus. A stratus is a layer, but stratocumulus is like a clumpy layer. So these ideas of combining them, it all really came from that. 1802 is when it began. So fast forward to the Cloud Appreciation Society and the cloud that's on the screen behind us at the moment. Yeah. So this is the Asperitas cloud. Now, I always think of this as being a little bit like if you were a um, snorkeler and you were under the surface of the sea and it was a particularly rough and turbulent day and you're looking up at the sea surface above you. That's what I feel this cloud sort of reminds me of. And I, uh, we were sent in pictures of this wavy, turbulent cloud um, to the society uh, back in 2007 or 2008. And around about that time, I felt that it didn't really fit within the sort of classification terms we have. And I, I kind of wondered maybe what, what would ever happen if you, need, if you felt we needed a new term? Because these, we have a term for wave clouds, undulatus, but these seemed like more extreme and more chaotic and quite recognizable because every now and then someone else would send one yeah, in. Yeah. And I, each time I thought, oh, there's another of those clouds that don't quite fit. Uh, and then eventually I said, well, what, maybe we should have a new term, you know, maybe we should have a new name for um, uh, uh, this, this type of cloud. And it's a funny, it started this funny little ball rolling, which about nine years later ended up with this cloud becoming known as a new official type, the Asperitas cloud, it's now known as, uh, and was accepted in 2017 by the World Meteorological Organization as the, a new classification of cloud, the first new classification of cloud since 1951, I believe it was. Uh, and it really just emerged from the society, emerged right. from people taking photographs of the sky and sending them in, and it made me think, I wonder what you guys think about this, that we're really at the dawn of a new 
sort of perspective on the sky. We're used to this massive shift that came when satellites started sending us. We put up satellites and started getting this new perspective on the sky from above, this grand vista of our atmosphere, and the extent to which that was a, a paradigm shift in our ability to to picture the storm systems and the weather systems that are progressing across the globe. Well, I feel we're now at the beginning of a, another maybe shift um, of an additional view, which is back from below again, but from lots of individuals yeah. all joined yeah. together. And is that something here at the Met Office that people see as an interesting thing to explore in the future? It's, it's interesting. I mean, if you, if you ever looked at um, social media sites that uh, a lot of Met Office staff are on, one of the majority of things is, is, is sharing cloud photos and, mm. you know, what is it? We even have an internal social media site and that there's a whole, well, there must be about six or seven pages all dedicated to various aspects of, of cloud spotting. So, uh, so yeah, I mean, that, well, it's the advance of uh, mobile phones with cameras in them, it's everyone's got ready access to, yeah. to imagery yeah. in, in a way that we, uh, we didn't have in you know, in the past, you know, so... Uh, well, I mean, and also, we, we that was quite, um, you know, we have a couple of apps through the society, and one of them people use to take pictures of the sky and get them kind of verified by members of the society. Uh, and that was quite, actually quite instrumental in arguing the case for this being a new type, because the WMO wanted to see examples uh, that, you know, showed the you know, number of people observing this and they wanted to see the conditions at the time to get some understanding. It's not really necessary for a new classification, but it mm. helped the case. And so we were able to find times when lots of people had photographed this asperitas cloud through the app and we had time stamps and location yeah, stamps. Yeah. And we could say all these people over Belgium here near to Antwerp all photographed us at the time. Here's someone in northern France who got it as well. And do you know what I mean? You can see roughly where it's distributed, and they're all around within an hour or two of each other. Uh, and it gave these fascinating glimpses into these observations. And that was quite early on for this. I just think as, me, as people have phones with pressure sensors in there and yep. stuff, there's this new, there's a new kind of resource there for bringing that all together. Yeah, it can I mean, be quite interesting. This, we're always looking for exciting new ways to. Uh, hasn't the Cloud Appreciation Society started to uh, um, play with uh, artificial intelligence recently? Yes, we have. Have you you've had a go at it, Helen? I've had a go, and it and it worked very well. Yeah, I had some <laughs> some well. Cirrus, and and there it's like the Shazam for, for clouds. Yes, it? that's right. Well, this is to our, our app, which is called Cloud a Day, and it's hyphenated. So cloud hyphen a. Cloud hyphen a hyphen day and right. it's cross-platform so it's a you know um, android iphone and it's free and within it there is a cloud library so that shows you all the different types and some reference images sent in by members and so on um, with descriptions of the clouds and also it has this little blue button which when you hit that you can use the cloud identifier <laughs> and we use the power of artificial intelligence finally it's being used for something Wholesome. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and yeah, the, the, it, so far we've got it trained. So this, we've worked with a, 
member of the society in Croatia who is an artificial intelligence kind of guy, expert, and there's like a hobby of his on the side. Uh, we've worked with him and you've done help to do kind of given images to train the model with, and it can spot the 10, 10 main cloud types, these 10 genera of clouds, pretty well. I mean, you know, you, it's pointed up at altocumulus clouds, those little clumps, they look like kind of batches of bread rolls, you know, all aligned, coming out of the oven sort of thing. Uh, you point it up at those and it's pretty good at catching them. Cumulus clouds, it can do well. I mean, it has some difficulties with the layer clouds. Right. Because, I mean, the stratus, which is a continuous, rather featureless, low layer of cloud, looks very similar to the alto stratus, yeah. a continuous, yeah. Yeah. featureless, mid-layer of cloud. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? And it's all just about altitude. Yeah. It's yeah. pretty hard for some, but it's even not too bad at that. I mean, it seems to be able to, if there's a bit of land, the, like there's a slight, so often a bit of mistiness, just very subtle when it's a lower cloud, like stratus, and it seems to pick that up and you know, maybe be more likely to get to get it as stratus. But I mean, we think it's about 90%, maybe a bit more, 95 even, but somewhere around there, percent correct. Is, is this an urban legend or was there once a, a mix up with a cumulus and a sheep? That is not an urban legend. <laughs> that was actually when we were doing the sky gathering in Lundy. Yeah. And I wanted to um, uh, do a kind of live, there was a fairly early stage of this AI um, cloud identifier and I wanted to kind of show it to the members there at the Sky Gathering live and if you remember we had all this we had the problem. technology yeah. things because there's no internet to speak of on the island of Lundy in Bristol Channel, a tiny little granite rock in the Bristol Channel um, which is a wonderful location and it was great actually for that very reason because we were kind of cut off but it meant from a tech point of view when we were doing sort of streaming of the talks to members around the world there was lots of sort of issues with having to put up satellite dishes outside the church where we on the island where we were doing the talks and we were I was just about to show the um, uh, the, the cloud identifier when uh, someone pulled the plug on the um, uh, on the satellite and and it went down so we couldn't do it but soon afterwards I had a go and I thought I'm gonna see what this does if you take a picture of a sheep of which there are many around the um, the church there I took a picture of a sheep standing in the field and said what type of cloud is this and of course it, it did come cumulus. back saying it's a cumulus amazing which, which I thought was a good sign yeah absolutely so aside from the app what else is going on in the future of the society you've got more of the sky gatherings and sky holidays coming up yes well sky gatherings don't happen all that often um we had one before this one that just in may that you were speaking at helen the, the one before that was about three or four years before and uh, that was at the royal geographical society right. in london uh so those are on every once in a while um but more frequently than that we're doing these trips for members to go somewhere where the sky is going to be the focus and mostly those in fact all of those so far the ones we've been on have been focusing on the northern lights right now of course that's not a cloud formation mm. but these are sky holidays so more generally speaking anything to do with the sky i feel is a good reason um and the Northern Lights, we've done two to Canada, a remote part of Canada, the Northwest Territories. 
um, and near to a tiny, well, a little town called Yellowknife. And we get on a tiny plane with skis. We land on a frozen lake, stay in an eco lodge in the middle of nowhere <laughs> in the frozen wilderness of Canada. It's a truly stunning location. I have feel strongly it's one of, if not the best place to see the Northern Lights. And so far they've all been successful, haven't they, Touchwood? Yeah, Touchwood, Touchwood so far they've been successful. And yeah, I mean, I'm sort of getting used to one of these days, you know, this is the thing about the sky. It is the most unpredictable, ungovernable aspect of nature. So, you know, I lead, I sort of try to get to manage expectations and say, you know, Northern Lights, wherever we go, the clouds might get in the way. Uh, we might not have activity going on. There could be all sorts of reasons why the sky doesn't do what we want it to. And we've got a trip coming up in Bolivia as well. And this is more to do with uh, clouds. Um, so again, it's going to be very unpredictable. And this is to the salt flats in Bolivia. It's very high up in these incredibly flat salt flats, the Salar de Ayuni, it's called. Uh, largest salt flats in the world. And at a certain time of year, you can get, if you're lucky, this very thin uh, layer of water after the rains, and it acts as this perfect mirror on the sky. Uh, right. So shallow, is that there's so shallow that there are no waves. So it acts as this very, very still mirror, and you get these amazing sky reflections oh, wow. that's what we're hoping for but you know I, I do tell people we can't be sure it's why we love the sky because it is ungovernable and chaotic in that beautiful way and of course let's not forget the book comes out uh, early September yeah that's right and it's called it's called a cloud a day uh, published by Batsford and um, yeah it's I think it's I think it's the best that we've done actually through the society I agree um, and the society itself can be reached. Do you have a website? We do, yeah, it's, it's cloudappreciationsociety.org. Okay, that's excellent. Thank you so much indeed. And thank you, Helen. Thank you. Well.